You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Tina Avey. One, one of the things I love about Life Church is the expository preaching. You guys a fan of that? I love it. Going through the word, you know, verse by verse is super fun. And what I love about it is we don't determine the diet for you. Like we read the word and then we dig in a little deep and we study it out. We talk with one another. There's a lot of conversations that happen to come to some kind of place. Like the verses I'm going to share with you, you might read these in a different study and come up with a completely different, like, well, she focused on that. I probably would have focused on this. But that's the beauty of the way Life Church is set up. So Pastor Nathan, you know, a lot of multi-site churches will have a video message. So you might attend a different campus, but the message is always video by the lead pastor. Well, Pastor Nathan believes very strongly in live preaching at every campus. So what that means for you is it's super fun. You can actually go and listen to four different messages on this same scripture. You can listen to each uh, pastor that's preaching this morning at our four different campuses and just kind of take it all in. And it's a super fun way to go a little deeper, see what the Lord has for you on it, get out your word and study it out. Um, It really is an enriching way to pursue God. God and and use these messages for what he has for you because I would argue just sitting here and listening to what I tell you I pray the Lord uses it in your heart and that it's moving for you but may it just be a step like there's more he has for you amen um but you know one thing about being in church for 20 years <clears throat> it's kind of funny um I'm just curious if anyone out there, maybe it's just me, but you've ever had any kind of struggles with, I don't know, relationships. <laughs> so it's just me. Um, uh, but you know, all kinds of relationships. When you're in a, in a church family, in a church body for 20 years, you see a lot of faces come and go. Um, you go through a lot of things relationally with people. Um, different leaders and all of that and it can feel complicated and it can feel hard and that's just your church home that's not including your work life and your family and all of the things that invade that are a part of your life so I'm curious if anyone else like have you ever had a relationship where you misplaced trust you believed a little too hard a little too deeply and trusted maybe a little too much and it bit you in the butt yeah yeah Have you ever been in a relationship where maybe you didn't give enough grace and you listened to other voices and didn't give a friend the benefit of the doubt and you wounded a friend? Anyone? Have you ever had a relationship where you love one another and you're in that relationship and you're like, we are die-hard, lifelong, tried and true, you're my BFF, all the things, and then just time and distance happens? And the connection just fades. Nothing's wrong, just, it just faded, fizzled. Well, I've lost friends where it felt, has felt really painful. I've lost friends where I've known it's been God's wisdom. But friendship requires a lot of trust. And when we've experienced pain, because we're human, we're pain averse. And so we construct walls, we put up 
fences and we keep people over here and over there, but not here. Anyone relating? Um, because it's too risky. The pain, we don't want to feel that again, and so we stay away from the risk. Um, but I'm about to share some wisdom that I was given uh, when I came to Christ. Uh, and we're going to get into 2 Samuel 17 here in just a second. Um, when I came to Christ, uh, the Lord put in my path a fiery, spitfire, southern Pentecostal preacher woman. And she was a hoot. And she would say that about herself. She considered herself a hoot. Um, <clears throat> but the thing I loved about Patsy is I went to this Bible study really because the Lord moved us to Wabash. We had no friends, no family. I knew no one and ended up going to a Bible study because if I didn't meet people, I was going to go crazy because we lived in the country. It was very rural. <clears throat> and so in this uh, Presbyterian church, very proper, you know, everyone's at this Bible study, then there's Patsy. And Patsy's one of those, I don't know if you ever know anyone from the South that uses the Southern similes. Like, these are hilarious. I never remember them, but I always find them so funny. She would say things like, I'll start off easy, like, well, he was as mean as a snake. She was as nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Some of these take a second. They're, they're actually really funny. He's as goofy as an eight-day clock. Let that one sit. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He's as slick as a cat's poop on linoleum. <laughs> Boy, he was the turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> and she came in like a pole, in a, a pole cat in a camp meeting. This is my favorite. It's quieter than a mouse peeing on cotton. <laughs> Which, owls can hear that. Just so you know, like it's this weird thing that popped up. Owls can hear a mouse peeing on a piece on cotton. I, I never needed to know that, neither did you, but it's entertaining. I never rememorized all of her southern similes. She just flew those things off. If you've ever been around someone like that, it's super fun. And you're like, how? Like they must have said this growing up, like every day, all day long. But I would sit at her table with a pot of coffee. Bibles open and pen ready. And we would just talk. There was no formal Bible study. There was no curriculum. She knew the Lord. I was just being introduced to the Lord, and she answered my questions. And when she didn't know the answer, we dug in. She's like, you know what? I don't know. Let's look. She taught me how to use a concordance. She taught me how to go seeking in the word of God for things I didn't understand. And she taught me it's okay to say, you know what? There are some things we just don't understand on this side of glory. And I was okay with that. And I'm going to have to not talk like this for the rest of the message. It's going to be like a real temptation now that the, the gates have been opened, people. <laughs> but one of the things she taught me was about friendships, and it honestly has changed my life. I grew up where, uh, you know, as a girl, like, friends are hard elementary, middle school, high school, college, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe men have different experiences, but I feel like female relationships are extra complicated. Is, am I the only one? Okay, thank you. But she taught me this, and she said, Tina, the Lord puts people in our lives for reasons, seasons, and lifetimes, and the lifetime ones are few. 
And that has flipped a switch in me that has helped me tremendously. If God has his eyes on my relationship, if there's a reason, a season, or maybe a lifetime, then I can trust him and take risk in having relationship with people. Ironically, <laughs> I don't know, she, she'd probably have a saying for this, but ironically, we don't keep in touch and we really aren't friends now. There was an offense that she had against me and, and that friendship fizzled even though she was like my spiritual mother. But it's okay, it's okay and I release her in joy and I love her dearly because what a season that was. Oh my goodness, the Lord took my faith from zero to 60 like that under her ministry. It was a blessing in my life. And I'm so grateful I got to sit at her table. I like tables. We talk often about circles and relationship happens in circles, get out of rows into circles. I'm gonna tell you why I like tables. Because I like my word open. I like a place to sit my word, and I like a place with my pen ready, and I like my coffee. Although, fasting has revealed something to me. I don't actually like coffee. I like coffee when it tastes like a candy bar. So, there's that, no judgment please, it's fine. But tables are a great place to experience fellowship and dig in together and share a meal. And so I, I have to tell you, like we talk about this kingdom builders thing and, and I love that the, what we're looking for in that is table hosts. Have you ever hosted people around your table? Have you ever invited them in to sit around with you and, and, and break bread and drink candy bar coffee? like? There's something really cool that can happen. And so you might look at the Kingdom Builders Banquet and think, well, it's missions, it's this, and there's gonna be a great speaker, Eric Cooper from Stone Table is gonna be speaking, all that's gonna be great, but you have an opportunity to take a step into the pool of relationship and invite people where you don't even have to run anything. You're not in charge of a curriculum, a Bible study. You just sit, fellowship together, and see what the Lord wants to do and where Life Church is going and how you can be a part of it. So I would just encourage you to, to take that step and host, be a host of a table and do that. So you can do that at the uh, welcome desk or online. Um, God does great things around tables. I'm convinced of it. I'm a big fan. And when friends are God-ordained, he might just use them to save you or use you to save them. That's what he did with my dearest Patsy. He used her to save me. I didn't know the Lord when I went to that Bible study. And now he's my best friend. And I cherish every minute I sat at her table. She mothered me into the kingdom of God without knowing that was a thing. <laughs> Last week, we're going to see how one of David's closest friends saves him. Last week, Pastor Derek um, began, although you talked about your children in video games, I feel like we need to speak. Like we should have a prayer session about children, Pastor Derek, <laughs> your competitive nature. I'm a little worried about the Nerf war, Pastor Jamie. <laughs> the three of us need to have a little powwow. I'm not sure that I'm okay. Um, but he, he highlighted the role of an old friend of David, 
Absalom had normally received advice from his trusted counsel, Ahithophel. Ahithophel, you may or may not remember, was Bathsheba's grandpa. Okay, so the story of Bathsheba, all of that, we don't have time to go into everything. You might want to look that up, but he hates David. He's very bitter, very resentful. And he was pairing with Absalom, David's son, as David's son is rebelling, trying to kill him, become king, he is helping him. The thing about Ahithophel is he was actually pretty wise, especially in matters of battle and kingdoms. And so he had been Absalom's partner. But for some reason, in the last chapter, Absalom has an aha moment and decides to ask someone for a second opinion, a man named Hushai, who was David's trusted, loyal friend of all friends, who happened to get himself in Absalom's camp just to kind of keep an eye on things and share information where it might be helpful. Well, for some reason, Absalom says, hey, let's see what Hushai thinks. So Hushai tells him what he thinks, and Absalom disregards the advice of Ahithophel and goes with Hushai's advice instead, and he makes a decision to follow him. Why would he do that? I don't know. This is half the part of studying the Bible is you come across things and you're like, why in the world would this be the time he doesn't follow? And here's what I'll say. God is in charge of so many things. And he can weave people in conversations and, and make things happen where he needs to make happen. It also could be he just wanted what David had. And Hushai was David's guy, so he wanted Hushai to be his guy. Right? We don't know the why he did it, but he did. So in 2 Samuel 17, verse 15, Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so have I counseled. Now, therefore, send quickly and tell David, Do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all of the people who are with him be swallowed up. So Hushai gave his advice to Absalom. And he knows Absalom has heard from Ahithophel and him, but he has no clue what he's decided. He has no idea. So he sends word to David like, hey, here's what he said. Here's what I said. I have no idea what he's going to do. Assume he's going to follow Ahithophel's advice and prepare for that. So that's what he tells David to do. And it's really interesting because in, in Hushai's um, situation, have you ever, like, like you have someone and, and, and they're asking advice and you want to give them advice, but then you kind of want to will them to do it? Like, if you would just listen to me. Any parents? <laughs> we cannot will our children to do the things, although we can pray, and I have to tell you, if you set God on people, he answers those prayers, but um, that's a whole nother sermon. Um, but he has, he has no idea, so he tells David to prepare for the worst. But that decision-making is out of his control. And I think as some of us get into discipling others or mentoring or whatever the situation may be, parenting, we have to understand that we give the wisdom, we pray, we partner with the Holy Spirit, and we got to release. That decision is not mine to make. Those results are not mine to navigate. That's between that person and the Lord. And, but I can pray. I can pray like crazy. And that's not just because there's nothing else I can do. It's because I know there's great power there. If we start believing the results are up to us, we're going to get in trouble. Boundaries will get crossed. 
offenses will happen and we'll get, exhaust ourselves. So release and let the Lord do his work. I call it getting out of his way. <laughs> but the success of Absalom would have been found in the words of Ahithophel. That would have worked. But the protection of the kingdom lied only in the words of Hushai. And those were the words that Absalom listened to. Hushai can offer no guarantee to David that Absalom will listen to him at all, but he offered what the Lord had shared with him. In verse 17, now Jonathan and Ahimeaz were waiting at Enrogel, and a female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom. So both of them went went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Baharim who had a well in his courtyard. And they, <clears throat> they went down into it. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, where are Ahimez and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, they've gone over the brook of water. And when they saw it and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Does the story ring a bell? with anyone, two spies, they need to be hidden, and a woman tells a lie. <laughs> yeah, it reminds you of the story of Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute, and two spies from Israel were sent to Jericho to scout out the land, and the king finds out and is looking for them, so she hides them on her rooftop covered in hay, straw, things whatever, thatch. And then the, the men come looking for him, and she lies. She said they went that way, and they go to find them. And then when they leave, she lets them out of her window. And that can be a little confusing, because like, well, but that's lying. Like, command number nine, thou shalt not bear false testimony. But let's be clear about one thing. God and his law supersedes man's. We report to the king first, and we obey the king first before we obey man. We don't assist evil. We don't assist evil, but our primary citizenship is not here. Our primary citizenship, I walk on this earth as a citizen of heaven, as a citizen underneath the king Yahweh. And it also shows you, like, you never know where the servants of Yahweh are ready to help. You never know where they're going to pop up. And you never know where you're going to be called to help. We should be ready to obey and move and serve one another. Has God, have you ever felt God tap you on the shoulder to help someone? And you kind of wrestled with what to do? Yeah, I have. When I first came to Christ, I was in Wabash, I was in the Kroger, and I had $20 like to my name. And there was a woman who I knew needed it. And I did not listen to the prompt of the Lord and give it to her because I was afraid. And to this day, I'm like, Lord, put her in my path. Who is she? Like, let me, let me do that again. And so you, you have to become attuned to hearing him and obeying when he tells you to obey because Yahweh is showing he's working to help David. And little providences, little things from God can be a huge, huge encouragement. See if you can relate. 
an encouraging word at just the right time. Yeah, a hand on a shoulder. A prayer, a meal, a word from God. It is wisdom when you're struggling and you're waiting on a miracle. Wisdom is you put yourself around God's people because they will get a word from the Lord for you and they will tell you. You know, when we, um, we had our daughter and then we had some infertility and we were waiting on Benjamin. Hi, Ben. And while we're waiting on Ben, it was a good six years of waiting. But do you know what God did during that time? Because it was all faith. Like I remember standing in the line and I was looking at the, you know, the ovulation kits and all of that. And I heard no. I was like, oh, okay, hands off. But it was waiting and waiting and waiting. And that is hard. If anyone's gone through infertility, you know that is hard. But the Lord kept putting his people in my path, different people. Tina, the Lord says, as your faith has sprung up, so will the desires of your heart. Tina, the Lord says, the fruit will not come forth before its time. Tina, the Lord says, go prepare your nest. And as he did that, it kept us going during that time, is these little spurts of faith. You, are, you can be that for people, and you should look for that from people. In verse 21, after they'd gone, the men came up out of the well. They went and told King David, and they said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. And then David arose, and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. And by daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. Interestingly enough, all of these people crossing the Jordan under Yahweh's care, none of them deserted him. None of them, even though it was stressful and hard, none of them quit. None of them stayed behind. None of them got sick or weary, and none of them were lost, not one. And who else said that? Jesus said, Lord, I have not lost any of the ones you have given me except for the one that was um, the son of destruction that the scripture might be filled, he says in John 17. You're going to see more parallels next week between this story and what happens with Jesus and during that time with his friends and all of that. But I just think it's interesting how when you look at the Bible, we always tell the kids, right, Pastor Jamie? The Bible is not two different stories. It is one story, and Jesus is in all of it, even in the Old Testament. In verse 23, when Ahithophel saw his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey, went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself, and he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. I think there's a couple interesting things about this part of the story. First of all, um, well, it's just that stated so matter-of-factly. Like this happened, and then this happened. It's like, well, kind of a big deal. But if you look at how Ahithophel did it, no drama, no emotion. He was efficient. He got his affairs in order. This was not like a spur of the moment. That's it. I'm not going to be part of the kingdom. David's going to kill me. It wasn't that. It was methodical. It was methodical. Now, here's the problem. It could have been because of pride, because his counsel wasn't followed. I want you to listen to um, 
this quote by Charles Spurgeon, thousands set their houses in order, but they destroy their souls. They look well to their flocks and their herds, but not to their heart's best interest. They gather broken shells with continuous industry, but they throw away priceless diamonds. They exercise forethought, prudence, and care everywhere, but where they are most required. They save their money, but squander their happiness. They are guardians of their estates, but suicides of their souls. Ahithophel was very successful at what he did, but he was a fool. The wise man, the one who could counsel in battles, affairs of men and kings, was a fool when it came to his own heart and did not know the king at all. He did not understand. If he would have known the heart of the king, if he would have known the heart of David, if he would have just done a little bit of math, if he would have taken that same prudence and evaluated the affairs in his life, he would have known David offended him through his granddaughter Bathsheba. He would have known David had mercy and grace for Saul during the entire time that Saul was pursuing him, trying to kill him. David's like, I'm not touching God's anointed. I'm not touching him. And David loved him to the end. Even now, Absalom, who has rebelled against his father, David is like, not going to kill him. He's running. If he would have known the heart of the king, he would have known there was hope. He would have known there was a possibility for mercy and grace. But to those who are of death, death is their solution. He had no access to light, no access to hope. Darkness begets, begets darkness, and only light can change it. And let me tell you something, if you're in a dark room and someone brings in a light, the only way you cannot see it is to close your eyes and turn away. Let me tell you, if this is you and you've been struggling to see light, if things feel so dark, you can't see your way out of that room, there is a light that wants to shine in that room. You have to open your eyes and quit turning away from it. God is a God of hope. He says he's put before us life and death. He says, choose life. That's what he wants for us. That's why the gift at the end of all of this is eternal life with him. Life is good. It is his will. And the enemy hates you. And he wants you left in the dark. And when you are in the dark, he will just say, don't you see how dark it is? There isn't a single shred of light in this room. Here, let me help you cover your eyes. That is the plan of the enemy. And if that's you, then I'm telling you, you need to come talk to one of us, talk to someone, get in front of godly counsel. Because God is light, Jesus is light, he is the one who can shine light in that dark room for you. We know how to give you access to him. And so if you're struggling seeing it, please come to Pastor Derek, myself, Pastor Jamie, anyone. Just don't hide in the dark. 
Verse 24, David came to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab, and Amasa was the son of a man named Ithra the Ishmaelite, who had married Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zariah, Joab's mother, and Israel and, an Absalom, <laughs> and, Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Now, David did this. He's drawing Absalom to where David has support. David has support in Gilead. And he's drawing Absalom to come and fight on his ground in his place of choosing. In verse 27, I want you all to know, like, I studied how to pronounce every single one of these names. (laughs) So, I want it noted. All right, here we go. Verse 27, when David came to Manaheim, Shobi, the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the Ammonites, and Makir, the son of Amael from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Giladite from Rogalim. Here we are, here we are. Oh my gosh. That is so non-applause worthy, but thank you. <laughs> oh my word. Okay. So all of those people, I'm not saying them twice. Um, in verse 28, they brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, honey, and curds, and sheep and cheese from the herd for David and the people with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. That's quite a menu. Makir, we want to focus on this guy for just a second. He is the man that took care of Mephibosheth. See, I'm going to blow that one. That one I knew. Mephibosheth in chapter 9. Mephibosheth was the crippled son of Ishbosheth. And it's believed that this maker is the same, Makir is the same guy who cared for him. Makir. was the man who was generous and took care of distressed princes. Listen to this again. He took care of princes in distress. I want you to think about that for a second. If this is the same one as in chapter 9, he was the son of a, a, a... Emiel, he would have been Bathsheba's brother. It's possible. A lot of this is speculation. Like, we don't know certain things for sure, right? And we can only dig for so long. Like, you can get into this forever. But if that's true, then Ahithophel would have been his grandfather, which means the grandfather would have held on to hatred, bitterness, resentment, with murder on his mind. But the grandson under Yahweh walks in freedom, forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Under Yahweh, generational curses are broken. You start a new legacy in the life of your family and your descendants and their descendants, your children and their children and their children. You start a new legacy now. How exciting is that? You get to change things, change ways of operating in the world. Let us learn, this is a quote by Matthew Henry, 
to be generous and open-handed according as our ability is to all in distress, especially great men to whom it is most grievous and good men who deserve better treatment. And see how God sometimes makes up to his people that comfort from strangers which they are disappointed of in their own families. What this is saying is sometimes the ones that you need around you the most don't know how to be around you. They, maybe it's, it's not even malicious. Maybe they just don't know. And you need the family of God around you. But the other thing I think we need to have a heart check in here is how we care for leaders. A lot of times when we talk about, you know, benevolence and caring, I don't mean benevolence like in a financial way, I just mean a heart, right? And, and we think of those who are poor and downtrodden and all of that, and of course, yes and amen. I'm going to tell you a story Pastor Mike has shared. Um, he shared, he was, uh, had the opportunity to sit under uh, Rick Joyner, who is a, I don't know if you know, evangelist, author, speaker, pastor, all the things, who um, had relationship with Jim Baker. Now, Jim Baker was a tele-evangelist that got caught up in scandal. And so he relayed the story to Pastor Micah. He relayed it to us. And here's how the story went. So uh, Jim Baker, first of all, was caught up. Uh, he was discovered to have an affair, which was scandalous because he was a tel television preacher. And then tax fraud and ended up going to jail. He was ruined. Ministry was over. And Rick Joyner had a dream one night. And in his dream, his son got stuck in some quicksand. And uh, it, it, he, he could see his son, but he couldn't get to his son. And so as these people are walking by, and he's like, hey, someone help my son. Help him out. He's sinking. He's sinking. I can't get to him. Will you help him? Will you help him? And in his dream, people are just walking by. They see him. They're just like, oh. Look at the kids sinking in quicksand, and they just keep on walking. And he said, toward the end of the dream, he heard God's voice. And he said, Jim Baker is my son. Who will take care of him? That'll convict your heart, amen? Because sometimes we see leaders, and we put them in places we ought not. Last I checked, we're all human, and leaders need help too. So Rick Joyner came alongside Jim Baker and helped him. Even though he received scorn, he received harsh treatment by other pastors and Christian leaders because of what he was doing, but he obeyed the voice of the Lord to be there and take care of God's son, Jim Baker. I recently read a quote that loyalty, I had to read this one a couple times. Loyalty remains loyal even when it's difficult to do so. Otherwise, it's not really loyalty. So if you consider yourself a loyal person or you, you are loyal to a person, the question is, are you loyal when it's hard? Because if it's difficult and you choose to be unloyal, then you never were loyal. Does that make sense? This is all to me, too. I said the word you, but just so you know, this is us, right? This is us because we're fallen humans, and these are the things that we do. 
But the point is relationships are tricky, they can feel complicated. We started this talking about wisdom from uh, Patsy about reasons, seasons, and lifetimes. I've had relationships where I thought they were seasons and they ended up being lifetimes. I've had friendships where I thought they were lifetimes and they ended up being seasons. And I've had people in my life that I feel like have been difficult and I wasn't sure why they were in my life. And then the Lord shows me there was a reason. Oh, I'm just being honest, right? Am I the only one? <laughs> Sorry. Right? There, there's reasons. And we see this in our scriptures today. God brought Hushai into Absalom's right life for a reason. He brought Ahithophel into his life for a season. And Hushai into David's life for a lifetime. Hushai was a loyal one. And then we see this in the life of Jesus. Have you ever examined Jesus' relationships when he was here on earth? He demonstrated different levels of friendship. He had the masses, who he taught. He had the 72 who he sent. He had the sinners and the tax collectors who he ate with and he broke bread with and he taught in small groups. Then he had the 12 and the 12 were his friends. And out of the 12, he had his three. And his three, those were it. Those were his inner circle. And then, according to John, he had one that he loved. Jesus himself demonstrates to us to hang on to relationships a little loosely and let the Lord be in charge of them. And when you do that, there is so much more freedom to engage because the risk of getting hurt is a little less. And when you do get hurt, the Lord, you think the Lord's not paying attention to that and that he won't use that in your life? Because if you think you can engage in relationship and not get hurt, then then we'll, we'll chat. <laughs> we can surrender our relationships and take risks. Proverbs 19.21 says, many are the plans of a man's heart. We go into relationships with all kinds of ideas of what they're going to be. Many are our plans, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. But there's one relationship where this approach cannot work. It, people try, and you see it, but it shouldn't be and that is our relationship with Christ. We can accept human relationships that are reasons, seasons, and lifetimes, but this will not fly in the kingdom of heaven in our relationship with Jesus, but it, you do see it. Some people come to relationship with Christ for a reason. Crisis hits. They find themselves on their knees. Oh, Lord, if only you will, then I never will. Oh, God, will you just save me this time and I will get to church. I promise. People come to, and, and here's the thing. When that happens, yes and amen, come. But we're not praying that God's just going to get you through that crisis so you can move on with life. We want this to be a lifetime because that's where the life is. And then some come to really, and maybe you've seen this, there are some who come to Christ and they're on fire. They got radically saved, radically changed. It's going to be great. Life is good. They're riding that high and then hard times hit. It's like, whoa, this isn't what I expected. I thought I was going to feel this all the time. I didn't know I was going to feel this. And that becomes a season. 
But that's okay when you come in flying high. If you come in flying high, that's great. Do it. Ride that high. But get in a life group. Get under teaching so you can understand this isn't going to be how it feels all the time. You're going to have these, but God will bring you back up again. This is the life. Did I just do a southern twang right there? Did that just happen? <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> Forgive me. All right. <clears throat> but the lifetime friendship with God isn't just a lifetime, it surpasses lifetime. It goes into the eternal that you can't fathom. When you think about eternity, did you ever do it and it just like blows your mind? Like, what does that even mean? And you find yourself in this rabbit hole talking, thinking about metaphysics and all kinds of stuff, right? <laughs> it's an inside joke, sorry. But, <clears throat> but this friendship is meant to be a lifetime and beyond. Not to quote, quote Buzz Lightyear, but it just happened. But this is the way. Worship team, if you can come up. Because you really need, I want everyone to examine where they are. Right? Me too. There are times where I count on God in a crisis. I pray that's not the end all be all of my relationship. There are times where I'm in a season where I'm riding high with Jesus and it's great and it's fun and let's do it and then hard times hit and you're challenged and you gotta press in and press on and believe that God is there in that too. He is the same God in the valleys that he is on the hilltop. Same God, doesn't change. Just because you're down here doesn't mean God has changed. He's the same, and you can trust him. You can trust him when your relationships fail. You can trust him when there's pain. If you bow your head and close your eyes, I'm gonna ask you just to consider where you've been. Think about your past relationships. Have, do you ever have hurt in relationships that have muddied your relationship with God because he doesn't wear the face of any human that you've had relationship with. He's perfect, he's different, and he loves you. Take a minute and evaluate where you stand with him. Are you loyal? Are you in this? He is perfectly loyal to you. He is perfectly faithful. He never turns his head from you. Do you ever turn your head from him? It is what I pray over children. Lord, let them never, ever, ever turn away from you, not even one day of their lives. May that be true of you. And if you're here you're like, you know what? I know what that means to look at him for a reason and stop. Would you lift up your hand? Or you know what that means to have a season where it flies high and then it gets challenging when things get hard. Thank you. Praise you, Lord. The Lord is your faithful friend. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.